This is Back to Excited with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 115. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. So, the Leafs lost. Yes, you may not have heard this, but they did. They didn't win. They got eliminated. They're done. It's over. The season is finished. They did not win the just-concluded lottery that would have allowed them to pick Alexis Lafreniere. That went to the New York Rangers. And so, with that out of the way, we can now... Try to figure out what the hell is going on with our hockey team and what does it mean. Right. So we kind of said in, in the aftermath of game one, you know, there's no fun way or there's no good way to lose a playoff game. Well, you know, take that to its logical extension. There's no fun way or good way to lose a playoff series, mm-hmm. um, especially when, you know, you haven't won a playoff series in 16 years or however long it's been. So to say this is a disappointment for for the team as a whole, you know, that's a massive understatement. It's, it's, it's a gigantic disappointment, right? Um, and as much as hockey playoffs are random and don't make sense, and we'll talk a bit about kind of the randomness associated with this particular um, series and, and kind of the uh, justice of it, such as it was. Um, but, you know, even though that's the case, it's a results-based business. The Leafs have had Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and William Neander. Uh, as NHL players for four years, and they've won zero playoff series in that time. No yeah. way around it. That's not good. No, that and that's the standard that we've accepted in following this sport. And while we know that there's a large amount of randomness that goes into these results, and we try to be a little process-oriented on this podcast as maybe more analytic-leaning fans, the fact remains... It's not happening, and the point is to win at some point, random and unfair though the process by which you win may be. You gotta do something and it's not getting done. And that's the bottom line here. I think that maybe it's useful as we start to look into this to kind of make a distinction here. This series obviously could have gone either way, and it doesn't take a massive imaginative leap to see how. I think even Columbus fans would admit that right i mean I, and yeah th- this is the same thing we said in the last two years right mm-hmm. any series that goes to a game seven pretty much by definition could go either way right exactly and you don't really have to strain yourself too hard to see how or to see that things could have been different if a couple of posts had been goals or vice versa that doesn't mean that columbus is undeserving to be clear i want to be emphatic i'm not saying that i'm just saying The result in and of itself is one thing. It matters as far as our feelings go, as far as the overall narrative around the team, and it is what we're working towards, but the question is process. If the process were absolutely terrific and rock solid, and the Leafs were just stupendously unlucky not to win the series, we would say, okay, well, what can you do? I don't think that's quite the story here, though. No, it, it's it's not. And yeah, I, I want to reiterate, nothing Columbus did was like bad or wrong or you know anything like that. They they won the series, right? Um, so like, I really want to emphasize that. You, yeah, they they won the series. There's nothing more you can say about that. The the result is the result. Um, I, I actually I I do disagree with you on, in one sense because even mm-hmm. if the process was good, 
was amazing, let's say, mm-hmm. and, and the Leafs lost, there would be a huge amount of gnashing of teeth from fans. And may, maybe oh, yeah. not from us to the same degree, but mm-hmm. certainly as a whole, because the reality is, you know, this is a results-based business. And I think I've used this um, phrase before and applied it to hockey, but there, there's a saying in finance that the market can be irrational longer than you can be solvent. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, same thing in hockey, right? Like, you you can... <laughs> You can get quote unquote unlucky, or you can get you know the bad breaks, or you can think you deserve more for a very very long time, you know longer than your job security will allow before things start to turn around, right? Yes. And um, yeah. it, that's just that's the way it goes. But the one thing we definitely do not want to do here is to say that the Leafs' results and their loss in this playoff series is down to variance and down to luck um, entirely, or even primarily, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are certainly many universes where the Leafs play this exact same series and win, but they didn't. And, you know, part, I, I think it's unsatisfying as an analyst to say, okay, well, it was variance. Let's move on. Um, if anything, the amount of variance in this game should kind of force you to take a look at the parts of the game that you can control and to try and maximize the window that you have to inure yourself to the bounces of, of playoff hockey. You can't do that completely. Right there, there's never a 100 uh, percent guarantee of winning any playoff series, no matter what. But um, you know, you want to get as close as possible. And I think if I was to boil down the Leafs' issues in this series to to one overarching thing and then one more specific thing, the overarching thing is they didn't give themselves enough margin of error. And the specific thing is when their five-on-five offense crumbled as a result of um, a combination of Columbus limiting their chances. Uh, strong goaltending from Columbus and poor finishing from Toronto. When that happened, the margin of error that the Leafs had in terms of outchancing Columbus was not big enough, right? And it was it was exactly in the way Columbus kind of designed this up for from every game except Game Two, really. Um, that I would say that was the case, right? Uh, the Leafs generally outchanced Columbus, but it was a low event in both directions, and that's the game Columbus placed and they managed to get on the right side of those low event games. Yeah. I think what concerns me here is not per se that the Leafs lost them losing sucks. I won't lie. It affects enormously how I feel about it, but this was Columbus's series. This was how they wanted to dictate this game. And they by and large succeeded. Frankly, this is how they have to dictate games against teams that are frankly much better in terms of skater talent than them or at least in offensive skater talent yeah in defensive skater talent i think you have to give columbus an enormous amount of credit and you have to say that john tortorella has coached them to employ their plan very well like you have to give credit where it's due first of all we don't want to do the leaf thing of we're the protagonists of reality you know we've talked about that before and yeah so columbus executed what they set out to do and it worked and that is more concerning in a macro sense than just the fact that the Leafs did not get some bounces that would have helped them. I think that this should be pretty much a no excuses series from my perspective. This is going to be a little unforgiving and I know you don't 100% agree with me on this, but I emphatically do not blame the refs. I don't blame the goaltending. I think the Leafs failed to deliver on their value proposition. On the idea of what the Toronto Maple Leafs are supposed to do to win hockey games, they didn't do it. They weren't good enough at it at a level where you can say, 
they should have won and not unconnected to that, they lost. They didn't get enough chances. They didn't finish on their chances at anything like a normal rated five on five. And Sheldon Keefe said after, you know, we shot 2% on five on five. That's true. That's really low. That's extraordinarily low. And you can say that's lower than even a good defense should be able to make you shoot. It, it is. It, like, I, I think yeah. someone pulled this up. I, I wish I could give credit to who, who pointed this out on Twitter. I think it was at mostly Leafies, but I could be wrong. But I'll give credit to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they pointed out that I think in, in, in recent times, there had been only three or four series where someone had shot around the same rate as Toronto at five on five. And every single one of those games was a sweep. Mm-hmm. Or series was a sweep, except for this one. Um, and it, it's a credit to, to some extent to Toronto's um, special teams, right? They're they're six on five and five on four, which you know provided them some lifts in a couple games. And Columbus's putrid offense and their their general disinterest in trying to score ever um, that the Leafs actually kept it close just by shooting that badly. But yeah, like that that's. It's unsatisfying and unconvincing to me to say that the Leafs just got goalied and that's it, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't think that's a great explanation for what happened because while, again, the Leafs did get more chances than Columbus over the series, they did get better chances than Columbus over the series, Columbus played a game where, for the most part, when it's tied, it's kept very tight. It's super, super uh, l- low amounts of chances in each direction. And then, for the most part, Columbus had the lead, right? Mm-hmm. And then they just sat on that lead. And they have no reason to push at that point. And, of course, we're going to get more chances. We're pushing, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to come back to, into the game. And, you know, we never did, right? With the exception of that mad dash in Game 4, which, you know, was just a, a one-in-a-million prayer. We We didn't get back into the games that we trailed in. Yes. And, you know, we talked about how that surge doesn't mean nothing. It, in some sense, was when the Leafs did deliver on what they're supposed to do. All this high-octane offense that they supposedly have, they put the puck in the net when the chips were down, and that's terrific. But the fact remains that you look at this series as a whole, and I think that there are grave concerns about how this team is built. I really mean that, and I maybe I'm going to wear the pessimist hat on this podcast, but I think we have to start asking some questions about how this team is designed, and we'll talk about that maybe more as we go on. But the bottom line in this series was Columbus designed a game plan where they played uh, what my dad used to call Katie Bar the door hockey as soon as they got a lead, where they collapsed almost completely to the net, They made it so that if you are going to try to put someone into the slot, they are going to be wearing at least one and maybe multiple Columbus defenders like a cape. And if you shoot it, you'll shoot it primarily into shin pads and into bodies and they will recover rebounds and clear it out and make you do it again. And they can do that all day. And... As much as it's a luck-oriented strategy to a point, as we said, where it's it's trying to move the game away from most pure talent wins and into we can grind out a bounce here and there and we can win by small margins, it worked. And it was exactly what we 
would have expected them to do. It's exactly what they've done in the past. And it went more or less the way they intended it. Yeah. You know, the fact that it could have not worked doesn't, you know, mean that much to me relative to the fact that, okay, here was their plan. They executed it perfectly. Yeah. And I I was about to mention that, you know, their plan isn't foolproof either. No. Right. Um, I, I frankly don't think you can win a Stanley Cup playing that style because your best case scenario is, is four, and in this case, in t- this year, five coin flips in a row, right? I mean, not impossible, but it, it's unlikely, especially mm-hmm. when you're facing better teams than Toronto, right? That's the, oh. and that's the best case scenario, right? Col- Columbus is, you know, realistically, they're not going to dominate play again. If they, could, if they couldn't get more chances against the Leafs, I don't think they're going to get more chances against the Bruins or the Lightning or the Flyers or whoever. Right, their their goal is get those weird freak goals where it bounces in off a goaltender, where the goaltender you know has a brain fart, and then defend like hell. Yeah. And they, as as you said, they executed it to a T, and it worked. The mm-hmm. the the problem, right? So I, I, this is where my overarching thing on this series is that, and I tweeted this last night, and I'll just repeat it because I think I expressed it well in the tweet. If I do say so myself, <laughs> um, it's that two things can be true. The Leafs got more and better chances than Columbus over the series, but their offense did not do nearly enough in terms of obtaining quality chances and in converting them, especially due to the kind of common score effect where the Leafs were trailing more often than they were leading. And even when they were tied, you know, Columbus was able to shut things down and it was close enough to even that it wasn't really overwhelming. And this is with the exception of game two and maybe the first half of game three. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's one and a half games in a five game series. Right. And so, yeah, again, Columbus looks very, very different when they're trailing to me, to my eye test. Like, they just have to open up. They have to be more aggressive. But the fact remains, our whole idea of this team is going to be we will force chances, good chances, and we will put them in the net at an above average rate, uh, especially with regard to Austin Matthews. We didn't do that. No, we didn't. And, and, and yeah, yeah, that's basically the problem, right? Um, mm-hmm. Even if the Leafs won the series, I was not going to be thrilled because the Leafs really didn't, I keep saying this, they didn't give themselves a big enough margin. And it's easy to say that in a, in a loss, right? If they win, then by definition, they did give themselves a big enough margin and that criticism wouldn't necessarily apply. But, you know, they they lost and it's exactly in this, way that we kind of predicted going forward or, or sorry looking forward when, when we were you know projecting the series and yeah it's just if you can't dictate your style against a well-coached but ultimately not that talented team then yeah it, it does call into question you know what you're doing um you could argue that you know and maybe we'll look stupid for saying this because maybe columbus is just going to go and do the same thing to our bigger brother in tampa bay mm-hmm but I'd be surprised if Tampa Bay couldn't get more offense than we did against Columbus. I expect them to, because they're a better team. Right. And so the bottom line here is, okay, we've built a team that is wholly oriented, or close to it, towards star offense. We've paid an enormous amount of money for star forwards. We have stacked our roster towards the top. How did that end? We got... Almost nothing offensively from our bottom six in this series. Nick Robertson scored once. Our defense was not terrifically impressive, especially after Jake Muzzin went out. Now you can say 
Columbus didn't get that many chances. But yeah, they're Columbus and they were playing hyper defense whenever they got the chance. I would not expect them to generate much of anything, even against a very poor defense. But throughout game five, Sheldon Keefe mostly ran with what can only be described as a superpower line of John Tavares, Austin Matthews, and Mitch Marner. And they got a lot of zone time. They could easily have scored. John Tavares most memorably dinged a post quite early on that could have changed the complexion of the game. But one, they didn't. They could be slowed down enough. And two, Columbus did not seem to have a ton of trouble with either of the other three lines in our lineup. And I think it was a bit of a dubious proposition to begin with, because as we said going in, you're supposed to make up your margins at second line center. Putting your whole first line out there, even in a lot in a game where you have the last change, it gives John Tortorella something to throw uh, Jones and Wierenski at. And so I, I question that as a decision, even putting aside the fact that William Nylander was forced to play center in game five, kind of out of the blue. But the whole idea of this team should be that that first line is unanswerable. And I know that any line can get stifled for a game. But seeing them there and seeing what happened when they didn't score kind of made the rest of the lo- the roster look sort of barren. Well, and, and I didn't also, see anything productive. Also, you know, th- that line got their chances. They weren't getting slot shots at every single shift, right? Like Columbus was still, keep- they got a lot of zone time. They got a lot of shots. And, you know, point shots are not worthless. Right? I think there is a tendency to be like, oh, they didn't get slot shots and every other shot is useless. No, I mean, Columbus scored on a point shot that took a weird redirection. Right, Those shots can be useful, but they weren't getting, they weren't having their way with Columbus. They were getting into the zone and then struggling to break through, which I think almost any line would when Columbus is playing that defensively. But yeah, it's... On the whole, they still didn't generate a whole lot of offense. So it, it's just kind of... That that choice by Keith um, ensured that he would get credit if it worked out and blame if it didn't. Yeah. Right? And, it, it's something yeah. that's completely post hoc judged. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean, I guess by definition, you have to say it didn't work because those guys didn't score. And, you know, you're sewering your depth. Um, I think Kevin Papetti had a good point. He tweeted this where, where he said, if this was the optimal approach for the Leafs why did they never do this before Mm -hmm. right like what made this so attractive there's no forward injuries to speak of right what makes this a smart move now and I I think the idea is well we're struggling to get offense in general let's try and have one sure thing Uh, and unfortunately there are no sure things in hockey right so yeah that's that's just the way it crumbled Um, was not fun to watch let me tell you (laughs) No, this whole series was, by and large, excruciatingly dull. And, to be clear, that's not on Columbus per se. The rules are what they well, are. It is, they it have... is on Columbus, but it's not their... Like, they're, doing, they're maximizing their chance of winning. It's, I'm not that's what I'm saying. Is their, their job is to do whatever gives them the best chance in the game that exists. I think, as an entertainment product, the NHL should be thinking... Is it good that this strategy is effective? Probably not if you're trying to get new fans to the sport. I'm sure this was a lot of fun for people watching in Ohio. I don't know that an impartial observer would have enjoyed most of these hockey games. 
except for the late surge. Yeah, so I, I made a comment on PPP about this where, you know, I'm not, I said essentially what you just said. I don't, I don't think it's great for the NHL that this is, that this result occurred, right? That mm-hmm. uh, a great defense just completely stifled a great offense with, you know, by essentially playing a, a shell, right? Um, and I don't think that makes it a great entertainment product, which to be clear is definitely a homework opinion. Right, I, I think we. I'm oh, yeah. pretty unbiased or try to be in general. That's a homer opinion. I'll admit to that. And a Blue Jackets fan said, you know, some people, perhaps outside of Toronto, tend to like watching defense. And look, I, I'm trying to be reasonable here. That's bullshit. <laughs> no, that's. I'm sorry. That is bullshit. No, um, you like watching your team win. Exactly. And there is, by the way, hundred percent. Yes, your no team shame winning should yeah, be like, your favorite thing, and that takes priority. If, but beyond if that, I rooted for the. 90s devils i would have been the biggest like oh defense wins championship baby get that soft shit out of here you know no dipsy doodles (laughs) in my house right like because that's my team yeah right but i mean in recorded history has anyone ever been like man that goal was sick but that gap control that's really where it's at no i mean the, the reality is you you want lowest common denominator excitement if you're making an entertainment product you want something that is accessible goals are the most accessible part of hockey because yeah. everyone can see, hey, that was a success, a sick, a successful thing. There's even lights and a horn to show you, hey, something good happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? So, yes, for the NHL, you know, you want a high offense game, right? Within reason. Um, and this is backed up by so many things. What was the most talked about series of the play-in round? Chicago-Edmonton. Mm-hmm. What was the most talked about seri- first-round playoff series in recent memory? Philly-Pittsburgh, where no one could stop a beach ball. Um, yeah. Do they talk about Crosby and Ovechkin's dueling hat tricks, or you know the Ducks and the Wilds dueling shutouts? Yeah, I mean, remember that one year where Jay Shiger had equipment like the Michelin Man, and Minnesota scored one goal en route to getting swept. That's fun if you love Anaheim or hate Minnesota for some reason. But for anyone objectively watching, it's pretty dull. And again, none of this really bears per se on the Leafs. Right now, this is the world they have to live in, and they have to find a way to beat teams like this. This is just leading to our proposal time. that all goals, all all teams uh, that try to be offensive, uh, should get like they should start with one goal ahead. And <laughs> the definition of try to be offensive is plays in Toronto with a leaf on their sweater. Yes, yeah, that's our opinion. Or just turn it into first to five goals instead of whoever has the most after sixty minutes. That'll help. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, the, yeah. you're right. That This is the NHL that the Leafs operate in. They have to succeed under those rules. Those rules are not unfair. They apply to everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so we can complain that it doesn't incentivize necessarily what we want to incentivize. Well, you know, at the end of the day, if you're running the team, your job is to have success within those rules, regardless of what those rules are. Yes. And that is why this loss is probably scary for Toronto. Because if a team with, I think, objectively less talent, maybe, you know, you can talk about defensive talent. Um, I, I'm certainly, I'm swinging around back to the opinion that Seth Jones really is good, numbers be damned. But, yeah, if this is the kind of matchup where you basically fail to impose your will on the series, where it winds up looking how they want it to look, and sure, Maybe you had an even odds chance of getting through it. Or better. Or better. But 
if all this team can ever do is get to like, oh, a 53% shot of beating like a middling low-end defensive team that just is going to swallow them, you have to question the build of this because how is this team getting better offensively? Like the solutions by which you do that are, you. I mean, you would have to have spectacular draft hits to inject talent, I guess. Or you need to reconsider how your offense works. And I don't know if that's a reallocation of salary. I, to be clear, I don't think we're at the nuclear option yet where we start trading one of the big four this summer. I think if that happens, it will be next year. But I think that there are legitimate questions as to whether this is sufficient. And you can say... Either we need to have more scoring depth, because again, that third line didn't do shit. Or you can say that we need to add a little bit of grit and grind. And actually, if you'll forgive me here for a second, there's something I would like to do a brief discursion on. I think that a lot of stats-minded people really, really resent hearing grit and toughness and go to the dirty areas and stuff, because one, those are catchphrases that are thrown out indiscriminately by people who just hate William Nylander, for example. And two, we had a team built by Brian Burke that went on and on and on about those sorts of things. And that absolutely sucked. That was genuinely very bad. And so I think the idea of valuing those things, of hearing arguments that the Leafs are flawed because they lack those things, people don't tend to take it well in our corner of the internet. And I think we have to distinguish between, okay, some clown on Facebook is saying this shit, and is there a real problem here in terms of ability to penetrate set defenses? Now, the Leafs got to some dangerous areas. They did generate chances, to be clear. But, and this is not enough. And this is something that someone suggested to me earlier in the year. It's like, if you had the chance, would you trade Marner for Matthew Kachuk? And putting aside that, you know, Calgary wouldn't do that. I said, yeah, I would. And I kept thinking in this series, would I rather have Marner or Matthew Kachuk? And I hate to say it, but it's not close. Now, some of that is emotionality. Some of that is just my sense of how the game was going. But I don't think that you can totally ignore that this dynamite offense which is what we're for did not deliver to the extent that we needed to yeah and i mean i go back and forth on this because people i got annoyed at someone at ppp today for being like oh nilander isn't lunch pail enough or isn't tough enough doesn't battle and mm. i think in a lot of cases those can be weasel words and, and you alluded to that right uh, in the case of nilander he he scores a lot from the net front right yeah. he, he he succeeds and poaches very well from those areas so if he's not battling, either that stuff doesn't really matter, or he is and you're just not noticing it, mm-hmm. right? Because by any definition, he's a successful net front player at this point. Um, his two goals in the series were both from four feet out. Um, so yeah, I, I think I do reflexively kind of push back on the idea of, oh, the Leafs need, you know, some heart and some grit to get to the, the front of the net. Because I think it, there's a difference between... I guess, tough for the sake of tough and functionally tough, right? Or functionally yeah. physical. And I mm-hmm. think the Leafs do have players who are functionally physical. 
and I would say Nylander is one of them. I don't think you get to be as good as he is uh, in terms of cycling and as term in terms of um, you know being a good net front poacher without having that. I think John Tavares certainly is. I think Austin Matthews is. Yeah, I think Tavares. Have... I think is a, is a very good example of just someone who kind of endures mm-hmm. and his ability to stand up under physical pressure and still make the pass or get his stick on the puck. Those things are impressive. Right. That, that goal just, he set up yeah. against in overtime his last year in the Islanders against Couturier is a great example of that. Mm. It just wasn't enough is yeah. the unfortunate thing. Yes. And uh, one thing I want to clarify, actually, because I, I did talk about and kind of praise Nylander there. He was really bad this series, right? I, I'm, I'll say that straight up. He was really bad. As were, I would say, you know, we, we dressed, what, 13 forwards, 14 forwards? I would say 12 of them were really bad. I think Austin Matthews and John Tavares can be proud of this series. Yeah. And, and maybe Nick Robertson, you say you did pretty well for being entirely green and new to the NHL and scoring a goal. And right. that's grading on a very generous curve. Everyone else, not so much. And I'll say this, Zach Hyman, I love him. I like his game. He was not effective to nearly the extent that I hoped he would be. He just yeah. did not do as much as I'm used to seeing him do. And I'm very surprised by that because he's like clockwork, even against quite tough teams. Yeah, and it's it's not like Hyman was bad in the playoffs in previous years. Like, he was a good playoff player against Boston. Yeah, they're quite certainly so. a tough team. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev was another guy who just didn't show up, right? The offense just wasn't there. And we're talking about the offense a lot, and I know people are going to be like, oh, the Leafs' defense is their problem. Well, in this series, they got shut out twice, and they were mm-hmm. about to get shut out for a third time, but for that six-on-five miracle, right? Their five-on-five offense wasn't there. Their five-on-five five shooting percentage was super low. And yes, that does, again, that plays a big, big role. But the five-on-five five shot generation and chance generation wasn't really there either and uh, look it could be the case that Columbus just does the same thing to Tampa Bay and maybe they win and maybe they lose right because as we said the Leafs could have won this series warts and all mm-hmm. um but maybe they do the same thing to Tampa Bay and we all take a step back and think okay maybe Columbus is just that team that drags you into that quagmire and I I I gave a very um roundabout and esoteric analogy when we were chatting yesterday is it worth me mentioning here swing for it okay so if anyone here has played uh super smash brothers melee uh this, this is gonna be a deep cut i'm sorry it's it's we're at 30 minutes in right now if you're not into this skip to 35 <laughs> Good. um so let's there, go for it there's a character mm-hmm. called the ice climbers they're one of the only care the only character where there's actually kind of two characters on the screen and you control one of them the other one's a very dumb computer ai and the Ice Climbers are not a very good character. They're, they're you know, mid-tier, maybe a little bit above. But they have one thing that makes them really, really unique. If they get a grab uh, on you in, in, in this game, and both of the Ice Climbers are together, your stock is over. They have an infinite combo. It's completely inescapable. Um, you are dead, right? Yeah. So they're not good enough in general to win tournaments. They have too many bad matchups. There's too many characters who are just better than them. But because of this technique, which is called wobbling this infinite, they can beat almost anyone in an individual sense, right? They always Uh, have a chance against anybody because they have a trick up their sleeve that at least gives them a prayer regardless of opposition. Exactly, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So in tournaments, what tends to happen is that these ice climber players 
will go and they'll, they'll inevitably some like timer will upset some good team or good player uh who like unexpectedly and then that ice timer will falter later because they you know eventually you're just it's just not going to work right you're you're not going to get all the grabs you need and they're not a good character so some players uh, who play better characters can just abuse that fact and eventually mm-hmm. they'll lose they won't make it very far but they're almost always at om- almost every big tournament there is an ice timers player who takes out a very very good team or player and all of this is just to say what if columbus is just that guy what if columbus yeah. is just that team that no matter who you are right with very few exceptions you know there's maybe one or two teams where columbus will just not have success with this but for everyone else it's that it's that proposition where if they get their grabs i'm dead and just like with Columbus, if, if they get a lead and, you know, I just can't break through, I'm dead. And there's, you know, it turns into a 50-50 quagmire. That's yeah. kind of what this series was to me. And I wonder if Columbus is just going to do that to everyone until it doesn't work. Yeah. Right? And so you, you know, can't win I'd... a tournament that way, but you can yeah. make upsets that way. You can get farther than you otherwise would that way. Right. And as we were saying to kind of bring this back around it's a good strategy to follow if you're an underdog if you are less than 50 50 to begin with any tactic that's a 50 50 tactic is good for you by definition you're pushing the odds in a positive direction the thing is is that if that's true if columbus can just sort of drag anyone into a coin flip because they could turn the game into a joke it makes me wonder about how we've chosen to build this team. Yes, because even that is not that comforting because it becomes, okay, well, we spent all this money on... on, on who wins? These four highly paid uh, hockey players or this one, you know, defensive boy? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And so, if all we can do is sort of endure a series of coin flips. Well, it makes the whole exercise kind of pointless. And we've already talked about hockey is unfair and cruel and has a lot of randomness associated to it, but we still believe that skill matters. It should matter to some extent that you're a better team. And generally speaking, the teams that win are top five, are really good. And so in kind of confronting that analogy of, okay, maybe Columbus just can drag anyone in the direction of a coin flip on a given series. I find myself thinking, okay, to be sure of that, I would want to see what happens when this iteration of them, emphasis, you know, runs into a really, really good team. Now you're going to say, hey, last year they dropped Tampa. Tampa's obviously a top five team, but they had Panarin and Duchesne and Hoffman at that point. Not Hoffman. Uh, they had Hoffman, didn't they? Zingle. No, <laughs> much shittier. But they had a very strong team. And so it's a different proposition here where you have a relatively low offensive talent um, team. And they're going against supposedly more skilled franchises. Um, As an aside here, we had a listener last week or last week, a few (laughs) days ago, uh, who said that, you know, it sounded like we're crapping on Columbus here. I want to be clear that I'm not trying to do that. I'm not saying that they're bad or again, that they're unworthy of winning the series, which they have done. I just don't think that they obviously have the forward talent to compare with the Leafs. 
And I think the defensive talent, while probably superior, is not that big a gap. How could someone listen to this podcast and think we're being mean to Columbus? I don't know. It, I, I, I wasn't honestly, aware of that, that, that comment, so it I'm, was I'm just genuinely shocked because I remember explicitly saying, I respect Columbus a lot in previous podcasts. Yeah, well, I responded and I said, like, we've said that upwards of four billion times. But uh, anyway, the thing is, is that, okay, granted, Columbus can drag anyone towards a low event, dull Kind of fluky, relying on the bounces sort of set. And granted, it's easier to do that in five games than seven. Mm -hmm. But are the Leafs in a position where they're doing everything they possibly can to impose skill on the situation? Are the Leafs a top five or six team in the NHL where we're saying, okay, they've clearly gone as far as they can realistically go in the skill direction and then we can say, okay, sometimes you just get beat by the ice climbers sort of thing. I don't think that there's any evidence that Toronto is in that tier. And I find it very difficult to believe like that they are at this okay. point. Let me try and convince you then. Okay. Um, and, and just to be clear, because we, we've used the term coin flip a lot and... Again, I want to emphasize that the Leafs were probably better than 50% to win this series based on the chances. When we say coin flip, we mean something approximating a, you know, a high variance 50 Could go either way. Right, yeah, yeah where it's like, you know, it, it, it's lumpy, right? It's it's 52-48, 55-45, yeah. stuff like that, right? Where it's it's um, a low amount of chances, which means a high amount of variance in the, in the result. That's kind of what we're referring to there. Okay, so with the Leafs and... I'm not even sure how much I believe this, and this is to some extent I'm I'm a little confused myself with how I see this team on the whole. Under Keefe, they were I think ninth in Corsi, uh, seventh in expected goals, and like ninth or tenth uh, in goal score percentage. Right, not an amazing team, but comfortably above average. I would say that you're classified there as a good team. Um, and they dealt with a lot of injuries and bad goaltending throughout the season. Right. If you anchor to that and you say that is what the team is, and this was, hey, they, um, they played a team that was very good defensively. They still got more chances than them, and the chances didn't work out, and that happens, and that's Columbus's style. But they weren't comprehensively beaten, and I do believe that you know the Leafs were by no means comprehensively beaten. Um, and, you know, shit happens, stay the course. Now, that is profoundly unsatisfying from a fan's point of view. Um, yeah. Because we've been saying stay the course for four years, right? And, again, like it, it, I've talked about this before. And the, the, the central, I guess, conflict with using, with sports analytics is you are constantly forced to make decisions on samples that are nowhere near big enough to make a purely statistical approach Um completely sound and something that gives you clarity or, or full clarity right you, you are constantly forced to evaluate situations that are in statistical gray areas because you don't have enough data if we could get the Leafs and Columbus to play another 55 times and figure out what happens then I'd be more able to say okay well you know this is maybe what caused the Leafs low shooting percentage or maybe that low shooting percentage doesn't even persist right but we, we don't have that so it, you want to say oh, we need to make these changes because we see these results and these results are what inform the success or failure of the team and that's what we want to react to. 
Um, and yeah, it's just you have to get comfortable operating in that in that zone, and and that's where the Leafs are. They're in this situation where we've had, I'd say, three years where the Leafs were in with a shout of winning a playoff series and then ultimately didn't. Mm-hmm. And each of those individually, you could say, tough luck, better luck next time, stay the course. But at a certain point, you have to adjust your priors and be like, well, you know, it's it's been three years. That's not an insignificant sample in, in, a, in a yearly sport, right? Does Do these 19 games mean anything more than what any individual series would? And I think that's kind of where you're coming from with this, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, that that's what we have to make the decision on. So this went kind of far afield. I, I meant to kind of try and convince you that the Leafs are actually decent. But to believe that, you have to essentially um, believe that. You have to believe very, very dogmatically in the results that they got under Keefe. And specifically the, the underlying results, because the, you know, the win percentage was not amazing. You have to and believe specifically they were... when they had Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin. Yes, when they weren't incredibly injured. Uh, and you have to believe that, you know, they just got bad goaltending and they were actually doing all right. And I don't yes. know how much of that is true. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I don't find it persuasive. Okay, why? But I can see the case. Um, at some point, I have to look at this and say, okay, if I'm going to go based on what I think is more likely... Is it more likely that this really, really good team has been quite meh or not meh? Above average, and that's it. For most of the last couple of years? Or is it more likely that's just what they basically are? And now I don't want to relitigate the Mike Babcock era to any great extent, but his final full season, they went out gangbusters on a shooting heater. It declined, and they kind of sleepwalked in the direction of the playoffs. And they were, again, kind of in that zone of, like, 8th or ninth in, in Corsi. I think slightly yeah. lower in expected goals. Um, and I guess another this is something we, we try and hammer home a lot. The rank doesn't matter. It's kind of where you are relative to the rest of um, the leagues, the rest of the team, the rest of the league in terms of spread, right? Like, being 1 is very, very different from being 4. It, but being seven is not that different from being ten. Yeah. And so when I put all of this together, I find myself thinking, if I were trying to be objective about this, if I cheered for some totally different team in another conference and I didn't care about the Leafs one way or the other, I would say, look, they have a lot of fancy stars. They can score better than most teams, but they can't score enough that it's a given. And when they went up against Columbus, I would say, well, they didn't score enough to ensure a result in the series. And that's not the only way to win. But that's the only way that this team's going to win. And I would say, when I look at the macro perspective, I'm not that impressed with this team. They're fine to good. But then you look at the team context and you say, okay, they're fine to good. And now what? Because... They are capped out all to hell. Thanks to COVID, um, they will not be the beneficiaries of any kind of rising cap. So they probably can't expect enormous gains internally. You know, we can be optimistic all we want about Robertson and Rasmus Sandin. But if I were trying to be, again, objective fan of the Albuquerque aliens or whoever, I would say 
Nick Robertson is probably fine. He'll be a middle six winger at some point. And Rasmus Sandin might be a second pair defenseman, although I'd note he didn't play in this series. All of this adds up to me to say, to say this team is pretty good. Not terrific. They don't have an obvious avenue of improvement coming unless they radically restructure. Now, I don't think they're going to do that. I think Kyle Dubas is going to say, or act as if he believes, this is the year I have my coach. This is the year I have more or less control of the roster. I do not have massive RFA negotiations staring me in the face. I can work around the edges. I can deal guys out, and I believe he's certainly going to make trades. He's going to do something. But I think he will leave Matthews, Nylander, Marner, and Tavares intact. But I am concerned as to what the results of that are going to be. Because the more I look at it, the more I think, maybe this team just isn't that great. Right. Like to, to believe... To believe what I, kind of the argument I, I made, and as I said, it's not an argument I necessarily believe myself. You have to essentially buy into the numbers under Keefe as being legit and real, and that's it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there's reasons why they may not be, right? Uh, the Leafs dominated possession under Keefe, which means a lot of attacks against them were counterattacks those are higher probability chances expected goals might overrate them um even if you are correct you know th- there's no guarantee that our goaltending next year is any better than it was this year right uh john Tavares is ha- had had a good year i think um mm-hmm. was as we said one of the only players who could kind of hold his head high but what he did in the playoffs and he's probably not getting any better right there there's a lot of questions about how good this team is. And, and the simplest thing to say is, well, not quite good enough, right? And just because we got a new coach, it doesn't mean you should throw out all the data on the skaters from before then. And for all the criticism Mike Babcock got, I don't think he, I don't think he was an idiot. I don't think he was mismanaging the team to the point where they had some unknown level that he was hindering them from reaching. Right, for, we didn't even make it as far as we made it in any single Babcock season. Yeah, which is immensely depressing, frankly. Yeah, because it's, it's not like we were incredibly successful under him. Um, no, but um, yeah, yeah, this but... is you know that's that's this team, right? There's there's that saying um, which is you know back in my day was posted on every fifteen year old girl's Facebook where of you know when someone shows you who you are believe who they are believe them mm. right um it's good advice it, it, no, it is very good <laughs> advice i mean i sounded kind of glib saying that but yeah it, no it's genuinely good advice but yeah it can also apply to hockey teams right if it, if it looks like a first round exit team and it acts like a first round exit team and it's exited in the first round for the past four years um then maybe that's what it is right yeah i i mean the thing is, is that, like, I keep thinking, okay, if I totally took myself out of the Leafs' homework goggles to the best of my ability, if, if I just tried to see this from a distance, would I even be thinking that there was any doubt as to what this team really is? It's not like the San Jose Sharks, where they were dominant in regular seasons, 
and for an unfortunate run in the 2000s, they got killed in the playoffs every year. Right, and that, that's I'm really glad you made that point because that, that's a great point to make. It's one I forgot to, because mm. you know I, I said, oh yeah, they were good under Keith. You know, they had they were what seventh, eighth, ninth, and all these five on five stats. Um, I mean, seventh, eighth, ninth. That that's not that's not screaming cup contender. That's no. you're, that's you're a good team who could possibly make a run. And I, I actually, if we're talking, if that's the the language with which we're talking about the least, I still do kind of believe that. Yeah, they, they could make a run if they got nice matchups. But right, but I mean, at yeah, this point, it's, it's not like overwhelmingly likely. Yeah, it's like you know, could I do this if I hit all green lights on the way to work? Like, what's the fastest time I can make my commute in? It's like, well, you know, maybe I can do it in 22 minutes, but the odds are there's going to be traffic and red lights and obstacles. And in the case of a tournament like this, if an obstacle totally throws you off, you're done. And so I think that I I am concerned here. I think this next year is Kyle Dubas's chance to, okay, this is it. I'm going to complete my vision of the team to the best of my ability and it's not perfect circumstances by any stretch putting aside god knows when the next season will actually start but this is it and i do think that dubas has to wear certain issues that the team has had um you know we were playing cody cc on our top ish pairing in a playoff series on purpose uh tyson berry was i think uh complete disaster of an acquisition and the mitch marner contract is worse than for any comparable player of his age and talent by a pretty considerable margin all of these things matter and all of these things have hurt the team and much as i like him as he's leaned into a lot of what i think is true about hockey as much as i think he's smart and progressive and he's done some things that i like this is, as we said at the start, a results business, and the results have not been there. And he's got to right. wear that. Um, I want to talk about that. I actually, I, I want to ask you one question first yep. uh, about kind of the team quality question, and then we can talk maybe about how the roster changes to finish up. Mm-hmm. So I think the example you gave was like, if I looked at this team from kind of a neutral pan- fan's point of view, what would I think of them? Mm-hmm. Would I think that there's any doubt about them being, you know, a... Uh, kind of first round exit team and nothing more like a playoff a playoff team but like a there to make up the numbers playoff team uh and i guess the question i would ask you is what did you think and what do you think of the hurricanes of the last few years where you know they, they've been this sexy analytics pick forever right Where crazy good play driving and just didn't have the shooting or didn't have the goaltending or didn't have both and you know they're sort of kind of putting it together but like through through these years what did you think of of them as a team and did you think oh they could put it together and and make a run i thought honestly one they need a goaltender somewhere and two they needed a bit more finishing talent i kept thinking that they have a strong base and if they could just add a little bit and i'll say this i thought their trade of jeff skinner was a big mistake because he seemed to me like one of those guys who could help drive their shooting percentage a little bit But all of that said, I thought that they were underlying a good team. And they were too strong analytically to be denied. And if these Leafs were putting up, you know, 55, 56% Corsi 
on a large sample basis. I think, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it, it's it's a bit different because with, yeah. with the Leafs, you know, their strong base is a handful of months under Keefe of like 53, 54. Right? Not yeah. even 54, 53, let's say. Yeah. Right? Which is like good, not great. And, like, like the Hurricanes were running away with first in the league. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I'll be a bit kind to the Leafs. It's it's notably good, but not amazing. Oh wow, this is the 2002 Red Wings incarnate. Um, yeah. And yeah, I guess there's also more. There was there was upside with the Canes of they just need a goaltender, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to be true, to be fair, that's true of every single team, and that's true of the Leafs. But the, you know, there, there's no. There was such a low hanging or such a low bar with their goaltenders. Like if they just get some competent starter, they'll be fine. Well, the Leafs have a competent starter who didn't really play like it much this year, right? It's, but it's the same guy next year. It's hard to see where that progresses. And for what it's worth, Carolina did add finishing talent, right? They they got a bit lucky in in getting winning a lottery, getting Andrei Sveshnikov, who is just a beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have Sebastian Ajo, which was I mean combination probably of luck and great scouting, who is amazing. And now they have that finishing talent, right? They have that. And they, they also want to trade for, for Nino Niederreiter. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's like, it wasn't as if it was the same team that it's been for the past five years. And then they got, they suddenly, everything clicked and got good. They, they made significant additions, which it's unlikely to, to happen to the least. But yeah, I wanted to bring them up because I think they're kind of the example of a team that was touted to be something by a certain community anyways for so long. To the point that people actually started giving up on it and started thinking, okay, there's just something endemic to them that makes them actually not as good as we think. And then when they actually did the stuff that the analytics people were saying, it's like, hey, they get a goalie and they get someone who can actually put the puck in the net. They they blossom into a pretty strong team. Right. And I think that that's... The thing about it from the Leafs' perspective is where does the improvement come? And and also the fi- the underlying play was never as strong. Yeah, that's the other thing. It, it, yeah, it was good, not great. I think it's the right way to characterize it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the issue there was, you know, the Canes had obvious roads to improvement. And the Leafs, I mean, I keep thinking about economics. Yeah, term. well, it's like, you know, Pareto neutral, I think is the phrase, where it's like you can't make some aspect of this roster worse, uh, better without making another section worse, sorry. Like... It's possible that the forward quality, as constituted here, because we've paid so much for it, is near maxed out. And I'm not totally convinced of that, but I'm starting to suspect it. Right, and then if it's maxed out, what does it say that they can't generate what they needed to generate against Columbus, right? Or or put away what they needed to, to, to put away. Yeah, it's like, when is this team going to be a better version of this? And if they can't be a better version of this, is this good enough? I think the answer is clearly no. And then it suggests we've committed $40 million to the wrong poor people. Yes, that we have, or yeah, I mean... Or, or I guess more accurately, I, I, I guess I'll be more fair about it, that the way we've... Ad- it's not necessarily that all four of those are bad contracts, but collectively, they don't represent a group of players that has succeeded. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the chips are down. And again, there's there's luck involved there. I, I don't think anyone really is upset with Austin Matthews' contract anymore. He's one of the best players in the world. 
I think the same yeah. is true of Neander, and the same is true. Uh, or when I say the same is true of Neander, I mean that I don't think anyone is really upset about his contract anymore, given the production he gave this year. And with Tavares, that was just kind of the stakes to get him. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have no problem with any of that. It's just, okay, if this is the best version of this team, or again, close to it, then this isn't good enough, and then we have to reconsider the team. Yeah. Now, we, we talked actually way back in the pandemic when we were still uh, fumbling around for topics. We talked a bit about how we think teams ought to be built. And, you know, I, I did a little ramble on something called big talent and little talent and how you should be very eager to preserve big talent almost at any cost under age 30. You should be really reluctant to give it up because it's so, so hard to come by and so, so hard to replace. If you misevaluate it a little bit and say you think, Mitch Marner is a bit better than he is and you lose a negotiation and you overpay it quite a bit that can put you up against it and I am very discomforted by the idea that we may be in a position where we can't make the improvements we need to make because we're handcuffed and I do believe Mitch Marner is an excellent player I'll be Frank here, by the way, I'm not talking about him this way because I dislike him or even because I don't think that he's better than Nylander. I do. But Nylander is a $7 million player on a $7 million contract. Mitch Marner is about an 8.5 or a 9 on an 11. And if this team is struggling to break through a ceiling here, some questions have to be asked eventually about that core four. I am really hoping that through... Uh, complementary moves, peripheral moves, trades of players like Andreas Janssen, uh, some bargain buys. This team can look next year like I thought it should have looked this year. And I'll feel silly for even having considered going against my principles by thinking about trading a player as good as Mitch Marner. Yeah. But if we're seeing the ceiling uh, come down over our heads here, then we start. We probably have to start asking questions about structure. And I think that this Columbus series didn't prove that in any way that the previous season didn't. You know, the previous season is still most of the evidence. But it brought it into pretty sharp emotional relief. Yeah, I, I don't believe, and maybe more accurate, I don't want to believe that these four guys are not the people to hit your wagon to. Because I, I think they're all really good players. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I, I I genuinely do. I think they're all great players. I think you can win with these guys. I, I do. Yeah. I don't think that there's anything inherently flawed in any of them where it's like, oh my god, you just can't do it with that guy because he's not whatever. I think you can build a team with each of these guys, and it's great. It's just all of them are making a shit ton of money, and if the conjunction of their skills is not enough that collectively they are determining factors in a series... And the team isn't that good. And that's it. Yeah, and that that's what it comes down to. And that that's the part that is heavily biased by the results. Because the fact is, as much as we can say, oh, you know, the Leafs were a bounce here and a bounce there in each of the last three years from winning mm-hmm. a series, 
they didn't, and as a result, we, we can't say that this group has won anything. They haven't won a single series. And I we try not to overreact to those samples because they are small samples. But, yeah, they, they haven't yet shown that they can do that. And I'm not—my my prior is that they can, and based on their regular season performance and their careers, they absolutely can. Right? I mean— they're all really, really good players, and it's worth emphasizing. Like they, they all had really good years, actually. In the regular season, pretty much all of these guys were first-line caliber players. Mm-hmm. Right? And Matthews, in particular, was among the league's best. Yeah, Matthews was a... I had him, when I did sort of like a mock heart trophy ballot, I had him fifth for most valuable player in the NHL. And I would stand by that. And again, I don't think he was the problem. If you do start saying, okay, we're doing blunt surgery on this roster, Matthews is the guy you never in a thousand years touch. Yeah. If you're forced to trade a player like Austin Matthews, either it's because he's leaving or it's because you have utterly failed in every respect. We should talk about that Johnston article, actually, or at least the money quote from it, which is that he seems to feel that one of those four guys will be traded and it's not going to be Matthews, which he says and is obvious enough. I yeah. don't think it's going to be Tavares either. He because he has a new movement clause, and, he and moved, he's the captain anyway. And yeah, he you know moved his uh, wife and his now maybe one year old son uh, to Toronto. I don't think he's going to be thrilled about moving in a pandemic. Frankly, no, I don't think he's waving his no move clause. Um, so you're left with Nylander and Marner. Yeah, and okay, so this is the thing here. Chris Johnston is probably the best connected reporter to the Leafs front office. And it can be hard to tell with articles like this, which are superficially just uh, an analysis piece or an opinion piece, whether they are at all informed by opinions that are in the front office right now. If they are, that's interesting and surprising to me. And he did say those four, Anderson and Riley, and he named them as the effective core of the team. I don't think that any good or real benefit comes from unloading Anderson at this point. He's not overpaid. He's a starting goalie, give or take. He was not the problem in this series, notwithstanding a couple of goals I'm sure he wants back. Uh, The Leafs got shut out in two games and basically got shut out in a third. It's not the fucking goalie. Yeah, exactly. Like, your first response as someone trying to diagnose this team should not be blamed the goalie when he puts up you know a 931 it, it was the 5v5 offense like that that's where yeah. the analysis of the series has to start and basically end to be honest because everything else like, was that's fine. the story yeah because that's what they're for like this they're built for offense for five on five and power play offense and five on five it died that's how they went down. So yeah, you've got to get there. And then you, you can look at Morgan Riley, but Morgan Riley is still on a good contract. He's our kind of heart and soul player. We've talked a lot about his glass cannon like characteristics, but I don't believe that you get a lot better unloading him because he can anchor a successful pairing warts and all. And we don't have a ton of defensemen who can do that. Yeah. The Uh, thing is, if you're trading Riley, what are you trading him for? Yeah, right. like I, I are you trading right-handed him? Riley? <laughs> like yeah, and because there's a scarcity of right-handed defensemen, right-handed Riley is worse than left-handed Riley. And we've said this before: win a trade is not an actionable plan. And but, yeah. I mean, certainly Dubas should be trying to do it, but like from our perspective, we can't be like, oh, if the Leafs win a trade, that's their plan to contention. Like it's 
it doesn't really work that way. Yeah, like, th there are trades that have happened that I would have found laughable. Ryan O'Reilly, Hall for Larson, all that stuff. But, from our perspective, something that would get you laughed off HF boards is not a road to contention. And so it comes back around to, okay, do you unload Kasperi Kapanen and Andreas Janssen? Andreas Janssen missed a huge amount of time, came back for one game, which was a bit of a rough situation to walk into, but okay. Kapanen didn't quite seem to put it together, although I still believe he's good. But are either of those guys returning you, like, the real solution no, and that I, you have on defense? I think really it's a, if you trade them, it's almost as a cap dump. Neither are really overpaid, right? Kapanen struggled this year, but $3 million for a middle six guy, it's fine, it's whatever. Yeah. Right? Same with Janssen. Um, but yeah, they're, they're just not returning you a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. I, I think, for the record, when Kapanen is playing at a level that I believe that he can still reach, I think that contract is good. The Janssen one, I think, is a bit of an overpay. But, yeah, so, you know, you add all that together and it just gets back to the same old problem of how does this team contend while maintaining those four players. It's a tough one. They don't have an obvious, obvious avenue in free agency. They don't have their first round pick this year in case they might have been inclined to sell it. They don't have gold-plated prospects waiting in the wings. They have two good ones. Very good ones for their draft slots, but the fact remains they aren't going to solve things. It's a tough road. I'm expecting some sort of restructuring move where we end up with a kind of second pair right defenseman eek sort of guy who plays with Morgan Riley. And then next year, it looks kind of similar to this. And I don't know if it's going to be enough. Yeah, I, and the thing, look, you could run it back and basically and get the same or better results, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the Leafs are, you know, let's not we're, let's not get down on them to the point of absurdity. They're a playoff team who can win a round. Yeah, if Anderson plays to form, then they should cruise in the direction of the playoffs as much as they're flawed. And if they don't get quite as devastated by injuries as they were for stretches this year which was not the worst in the league, as we've discussed, but it was bad enough to throw them off track, uh, then yeah, that, like that's fine. They're a good but not great team. Yeah, and we, we've criticized their offense, but you know, in the regular season, they were one of the best offenses in the league, right? The, yeah. the criticism of the offense is that they did not do that against Columbus, and that's equal, or not equal parts, but that's partially Columbus, and that's also partially us, because we're paying those guys to produce not just against Detroit. <laughs> Yeah. And so, you know, I don't want to be as bleak as maybe I've sounded, you know, exclusively. There are things to like about this team. They're not they're a bad a team by any means. No, they're not a bad team. And there was some absurd quote from, you know what, I won't risk misattributing it. It was Brian Hayes. Stupid. Oh, it was Brian Hayes. All right. Sorry, Brian Hayes. This was dumb. But he said, I don't know that I feel much better than I would have 10 years ago. Now, hang on a second. 10 years ago, this team was fucking garbage, and making the playoffs would have been uh, a miracle. For 10 years ago, we were about stuff. to make the first Phil Kessel trade. And, uh, and 10 years ago, we had made it, hadn't we? Did we trade for him in 2010 or 2011? Or, no. Wait, what track was Sagan and Holland? Were they 2010? Oh, it's all blurring back into the sadness of the past, but... I'm pretty sure we'd already made it, okay. and we were 
actually 10 years ago exactly we would have just seen uh our tyler sagan uh go to boston yeah so that <laughs> if you feel better about that then this you're a fucking moron yeah, and sorry, no it was September 20, 2009 was the first Phil Kessel trade. Okay, so so you were you yeah. were correct. Yeah, but that's kind of the craziness there. And I think, to be clear, one of the great things about a loss for narrative purposes is all your complaints about the team get to be validated. And there are going to be a lot of people who rush in and say, see, exactly what I said was wrong with this team was the reason they lost. And you can blame it on the defense and William Nylander and the cadre trade and everything. And you may at times have a modicum of truth to it, but it doesn't necessarily validate every Tom, Dick, and Harry who wants to come in the door with some bullshit theory. Yeah, and this doesn't mean the Leafs are like doomed as a franchise. There's no hope for it. They're, they're a good team. We've seen good teams make runs. This Leafs, they, again, they could have won the series. They didn't, right? And yeah. that's a problem. And that's something we need to analyze and, you know, the, the reason you analyze it is not to like castigate the team and make them feel like losers. It's to, to see, okay, what went wrong and why why did they not win? And, you know, what's why do they not have essentially the margin to win against a team that they generally got the better of in terms of chance quality, right? Why, why mm. did that happen? What can they do to improve that margin in the future, right? Because, and this is what that game two was. And of course, you can't have every game be like game two. The Leafs had like a 75% XG percentage in that game. It was ridiculous, yeah, it was right? Crazy. But in that game, the Leafs did worse than they were expected to do, but they won because they were so good, mm -hmm. right? And you need basically muted down versions of that to quote unquote guarantee anything. We didn't get that. But that has to be the goal. And that's not always possible. And you're going to get kicked sometimes even when you don't deserve it. And this might be one of those times. But the goal is to give yourself that buffer. And the Leafs didn't do that. And they, I don't think they got that close to giving themselves that buffer either. Especially with exactly. the score state of the series where they were always behind, which inflates the chances in their favor. Because they always had to push. Yeah. And so I think that this kind of brings it around to the Leafs wanted to dictate a particular style of play. They wanted to impose their game on Columbus. And I think they failed pretty thoroughly at that. They failed worse at that than they did in competing in the series, where they were still competitive, and again, it could have gone either way. But when I talk in this way, and forgive me if people have found it a little despairing, but I'm just trying to be honest here, the failure to dictate terms of this series is worse to me than the failure to win it. I genuinely don't think we would be much more positive if they had won playing this way. Yeah, like, I, think, I mean, you, know, you saw how we yeah. were after game four. Right? Like we were not yeah, particularly and I, th I think people happy. found that kind of... A lot of people found that kind of, I don't think, uh, as euphoric as they would have hoped for. And I apologize. It's not that I don't love that they came back, but it was that it was one burst in a series where most of the indicators were not to my liking. And that's kind of how it ended. So, yeah. I, I mean, none of this means that the team is now back to the Brian Burke era, no. as we were saying. Like, there's there's a lot to like. Also, I think, if you want to look on the brightest of all possible sides, Austin Matthews staking a claim to being a top five skater in the world, I think is a really good development for this team. And I think Kyle Dubas, while he has made mistakes, and maybe more than are pleasant to admit for analytic-minded people, 
He's also done some things that I think are undeniably good. I think he's shown a capacity to be a thoughtful guy who learns from experience. And so I'm hopeful that he will keep evolving. Uh, Sheldon Keefe, I don't know if the the narrative has started to go past, we're just happy he's not Mike Babcock. I still say a lot of, oh, imagine if Mike Babcock did this in the series. And I was thinking, buddy, you know, we're, we're past the point now where it's just be better than the last guy. You have to be good on your own account. But I think he tries things, at least. And so if you try things, maybe you have a better chance of stumbling on better answers than if you stick with tried and true. So that, I mean, that's the best optimism is that I believe that the Leafs will try things to improve from where they are and that the base isn't bereft of talent. But I think they are in a crunch here. They are in cap hell in the truest sense. And it's going to take some evolution and some creativity to turn this team into what we thought it could be. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to have a bit of a hypocritical comment here because I said, mm. you know, winning a trade is not an actionable plan. But if in evaluating Kyle Dubas, it has to, it's a slight negative that he hasn't pulled a rabbit out of a hat. Right. And mm-hmm. again, it's unfair to say, oh, you know, you didn't, you didn't trade, you didn't make haul for Larson or something. Right. Or the equivalent of that. Um, Cause those are very rare events, but so much, you, you can't really just make the accepted league average plays as a GM and expect to really get anywhere short of some crazy luck, mm-hmm. right? Because like, you need to get a guy who is undervalued or you need to hit a draft home run, right? And I'm thinking about the teams that have kind of vaulted into contender status recently. Uh, St. Louis won a trade for O'Reilly, right? Yeah. Uh, if we if we want to put Carolina there, the drafting of Aho and then won a trade for uh, Niederreiter. Boston, I mean, it, this goes way back, but they, they vastly overshot what they expected to when they got Chera in, in, free, mm-hmm. in free agency. And, of course, the Bergeron pick and the Pasternak pick and the Marshawn pick. Like, there's a fucking million of them for the Bruins. Fuck those guys. <laughs> Just because we lost to Columbus, I don't want any of our listeners to worry that we don't hate Boston still, because we do. We have a clear sense of priorities on this. I honestly don't even hate Columbus that much. Like they, no. they, they were just run of the mill annoying. Like the, the annoyance you get facing any team in a playoff series. Like they're, you know, you, you yeah. complain that their guys are too physical and yada, yada, yada. They, uh, they were mostly fine. Yeah, they beat us. Good for them. They earned it as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, like, you know, from if I, in evaluating Dubas, he has, he's made a couple mistakes and I don't think they were horrifyingly awful, you know, give Mike Matheson however the f- however much money Dotao gave Mike Matheson. <laughs> Nothing of that level. But he hasn't had the home run to balance that out. Yeah. Uh, actually, and you know what? I've been very critical of Brian Burke a lot of times. I will continue to be so because I think his overall record was very poor. But he made a couple of home run trades. Um, you know, getting Jake Gardner, getting Joffrey Lupul, um, stuff like that. He did JVR. well. JVR. Oh, God. JVR is the best one I should have loved with him. But one of the things that he talked about, because, you know, as a commentator, he talks a lot about his uh, methods of operating. He said that at least once every 10 days, I wanted to call every other GM in the league. And even if it was just, how are you doing? What's, what are you thinking about? Are there players that you were looking at? He wanted to know about it just to keep in touch because when opportunities came up, he would avail themselves of him. And if you 
are assiduous, if you are determined to put yourself in the best position, then maybe when the chance to win a trade opens up, it has a better chance of falling into your lap, let's say, than if you don't pursue that. I don't know if Kyle Dubas does these things. I'd like to think so. I have a lot of faith in his general way of doing business. But it's just to say that go win a trade as much as it has a big luck element. There's also an element of putting yourself in a position to win trades. Yeah, and we, we don't know whether, as you said, we don't know whether he's doing that or not. We hope he is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's, you know, you, you, ha- you, have to find, you have to find those if you want to build a contending team. The, the Leafs um, got very lucky in some ways that, you know, they drafted high many times. They won the lottery in a year where a true superstar was available. Um, but the, the result of getting those high-priced offensive superstars is that they have a lot of players whose skill sets are tremendously obvious and who get yep. paid according to their skill sets. They don't have guys who are genuinely underrated, right? And there's a saying that, you know, you can never be underrated in Toronto because no matter what, the media will hype you up if you're any decent. Um, but it's also just the players that they have. They don't have the, play- the types of players who get underrated. I'd say the closest thing to that is Alexander Kerfoot. Yeah, like to be underrated in the modern NHL, it's basically do you drive play, but your point totals are kind of pedestrian. And Sean Couturier for a while was that example, and now he's not really underrated because his points exploded. But the Leafs have had players who all put up considerable production by the end of their entry-level contracts, and Mitch Marner is the best example of that. You know, we said way back when he was in a perfect position to get overpaid, and unfortunately that's what happened. And, yeah, I mean, that's another thing. It's one of the ways you set yourself up to win trades is also to sign good contracts that are yes. tradable. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, yeah, it, it's not as bad by any means as it might feel right now. You would much rather have good young players and be maybe, I don't know, 10th in the NHL in team quality or wherever you think the Leafs are right now. You'd a hell of a lot prefer that than to be the Buffalo Sabres or whatever else. And so you could take some consolation in that. It's now a question of how do you get to the top table? And that's what we've been wrestling with really since um, the last year of Lou Lamorello. Yeah. And I remember we had a, a, a podcast last offseason where we're like, how do the Leafs get better? And it was a whole lot of, whole lot of eh, I don't know. It's kind of hard. Uh, I basically said look, they'll run it back and hope for better results, and that's fine. And uh, the results got really bad for 20 games under Mike Babcock, at least from an expected goals perspective, and now he's replaced. And so, again, if you're Kyle Dubas and you want to talk yourself into it, you can say, okay, now I've got it my way. I've got a chance to set the table for my vision in the completest sense, in a way that I haven't always had the chance to do before. Right, no... um no deals you have to get out of, no LTIR contracts anymore, no RFA negotiations. You know, this is his canvas now. Mm-hmm. We've and, um. Uh, sorry, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I'm just going to say it's his canvas and it's his responsibility, and whatever excuses there might be, and there are always some, but they will no longer hold a whole lot of water. And yeah. if next season is a disaster, his job security is not beyond question. No, not at all. Um, we spent a lot of time on this podcast. We've probably gone a bit over. We should wrap it up soon. But yeah. I just want to say, so long, Tyson Berry. 
I hope you are healthy. I hope that injury is not bad. <laughs> you will not be missed. I wish him the very best in a personal sense. Yes, and for the rest of I, his career. But yeah, I hope that he is very happy and things are rewarding for him. And I would dearly, dearly not want to be the team that signs his next contract because I think he is genuinely a third pair defenseman. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. This this is like um. You know that scene in The Simpsons where uh, Milhouse's dad gets like laid off? And it's like, after all these years, this is what it, what it is. So long, good luck. It's like, I don't remember saying good luck. <laughs> I don't know that there's been a major acquisition that has frustrated me like Tyson Berry. And I'm debating including David Clarkson in that. I don't know what it is, but just everything about him made me nuts. Uh, can I just I'm quickly sorry. rant about one thing? I, I ranted about this in Slack. Yeah. But that thing that Tyson Berry does, where instead of taking the puck on his backhand like a normal player, he flips his stick to the opposite curvature and takes it essentially on his forehand with the backhand of his stick and then switches back. That sums up him so perfectly as a player because it's flashy. You you notice it. It takes Mm -hmm. skill to execute and quick hands and it's completely fucking useless and he'd just be so much better if he did the simple thing. (laughs) That's the thing is I remember the first time we saw that play and people were like, when have the Leafs ever had a defenseman who could do this? And I was like, who cares? That doesn't matter. The the, the funniest part, (laughs) this image or this video is seared into my brain where Mm. I remember the context in which he did that. It was a puck coming to him in the defensive zone. So he switches to the the pseudo backhand, then Mm. goes to the regular one and then just throws the puck out of the zone. It was a dump it. It's like, and everyone was like, quote me and say, oh, wow, that's so cool. It's like, he just fucking gave the puck away. <laughs> Come on, oh, man. Oh, man. I, oh, I just everything that I fear in terms of like a particular type of defenseman who are shot happy, who get overvalued based on point totals, who are quite poor defensively. It was all there in the complete package of a genuinely frustrating player. So Bon Voyage at least next year, even if the team is only this good or worse, I won't have to talk about Tyson Berry anymore. Cody CC, actually, you know what? You did your best. I don't want you back, but good luck. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just, I don't think Barry's as bad as he showed this year, but no, he was really no. bad this year. And I think like, some people are like, oh, he was actually pretty good under Keith. No, no, he was not. He got first power play time and then played a lot with Travis Dermott on the third pair. Yeah. And like, I don't even... I suspect Dermott was at carrying that pairing at least as much as Barry was. The, the, the what fact, does that tell you? The fact that Keefe went to Justin Hall over Tyson Barry to play with Jake Muzzin and what is obviously, you know, the de facto shutdown pairing because it has Jake Muzzin on it. Mm-hmm. It says a lot. Yeah. I mean, come on. So, yeah, that was just uh, just very unfortunate how that worked out. And so if you've enjoyed us or winced along with us maybe is more accurate as we've complained about Tyson Berry this is it this is finally the end of that particular saga but uh, I guess actually you know now that I'm zooming out into the macro perspective this is a good time to say thanks to people who listen to us once again I know it's not always the most cheerful sure as hell not in this podcast but uh, we do really appreciate that people have listened to us for my god 115 episodes yeah it's crazy i mean we definitely didn't think it would um i guess have the traction that it's had 
you know, we, we do, we get a lot of, you know, good comments from people and they are very rewarding to see. Um, mm -hmm. I, I try and respond to them uh, as much as possible, but if I don't, I, I do see them and I do very much appreciate them. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's crazy. It's not something we, we expected. And obviously we're a very, very tiny podcast in the grand scheme. Of oh things. yeah. We're, we're insignificant, but it's, it's nonetheless really cool that we have a set of listeners who, who seem to really be interested in what we have to say and actively engage with us uh, to talk about our favorite hockey team that makes us miserable 95% of the time. Yes, and uh, one final shout-out. Every week we do get at least one comment on SoundCloud, and I want to say from the bottom of my heart that it really makes me happy when a bot that is clearly oriented towards EDM artists says that our tracks are fire, and if we talk to them, we can get promoted. I'm guessing it, it literally just probably listens to the intro or something and like decodes that in some way. And say, like, oh, I genuinely this is an EDM am... thing. This is a one-hour-long EDM song. <laughs> <laughs> Just dropping sick DJ sets every week. Yeah, I don't know... I don't even know if it does that if they just are like, yeah, we'll just do it every track of a certain length. Yeah, it and might, it might just like be scattershot. The way through. Yeah, it would probably but... take more time to like employ an algorithm that like listens to it and makes it targeted as opposed to just being like just anything above an hour <laughs> we're assuming is an EDM track. <laughs> yeah, surely that's what it has to be. No one can talk about hockey this long. So yeah, anyway, thank you everyone. That's uh, That's been great. Yes, Um. so you can catch all of Mind of Fuleman stuff at PenjaminPuppets.com and on Twitter. Uh, at RV and AT Fuleman. Uh the podcast schedule for the next little bit I guess it, it's TBD we'll we'll kind of do it as and when we feel is necessary um yeah. haven't really planned that far ahead but we'll try and keep it you know somewhat regular and obviously we don't know when the next season is going to start so um that will you know that remains very much up in the air but you know we'll, we'll we certainly plan to be around to cover it and yeah once again thank you all for listening from, from the bottom of our hearts really really cool and yeah, we will see you uh, when we see you.